Welcome to True North Vineyard Podcast, where we share our Sunday gathering messages. True North is a vibrant church plant community located in Traverse City, Michigan area. We are centered in the Bible and follow the example of Jesus praying, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We hope that our Sunday gathering messages encourage you to lean into the word of God and compel you to take action. To connect with us, visit our website, vineyardtruenorth.churchcenter.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at True North Vineyard. Hey guys. Wow. Did you know that this is my first time preaching behind my new table? And we got this, we got this really cool table and I was, I've been talking with Jonathan for a while now and, you know, I've been, I've been talking with one of these music stands for like ever and I'm like, Jonathan, I'd really, really like a table. And he's like, I got you. And so he got this really nice little chic, beautiful table that meets all of my requirements of a table. By the way, have you seen my other table that I've created? Now, if you can't see it, let me pull this back so I can show you what I'm doing over here. You'll see all of these cups that I have. This cup right here. My mom pulled this out of her attic the other day. She's like, do you remember that time that you were in drama class? I'm like, I try to forget those days. <laughs> anyway, do I have any like big dreamers in here? Like, I know David and I became friends uh, because we're big dreamers. Like, we, were, we were outside Zach's house, and we were at a bonfire at Zach's house, and we got together. We were just talking about big dreams and what we thought God was doing in our hearts. And, I found this illustration uh, just to help guide you in some of my thinking. But when I'm thinking about dreams, I'm dreaming about you. I'm dreaming about this place. I'm dreaming about what is the future of True North. So I've been reading this book on church culture, and I ran across this cool illustration I want to share with you. Did you guys know in viticulture, which is vineyard culture, and I don't mean the denomination we're in. We're in the vineyard denomination, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the culture of the vineyard people who create the big wineries and stuff. They will tell us that the container that the wine goes in affects how we experience the wine. So I can put it in this really ornate thing here, but it's going to taste different than if I were to put it in Say this mug or this sippy cup. It's the same wine, but we want a container that allows us to enjoy all of the wine, its smell, its scent, the deep flavors that go behind the flavors. Same thing is with church cultures, right? We have all the same wine, we share the gospel. A lot of churches, we all share the connection of the gospel, but have you ever gone to a church that you think might be this? Or might be the party cup? Or maybe even this robust container? Very handy, but I don't think I'd want to drink wine from it. When I think about the church, when I think about what I think God is doing in the life of Cheryl, what he's doing in the life of Laney, 
what he's doing in the life of Bruner and Maddie. I'm thinking of how do I help create a container that allows us to have the most robust experience of the gospel? How can we, as a church culture, have the robustness of the Christian faith? And I think I've come up with four attributes that I would like to see us aspire to be. Some of these things we are, some of these things we already inhabit, but some of these things we are still working on. You'll see in the north, this is our true north compass. In the north is the gospel-centeredness. I want us to be gospel-centered. Now you see me every week. I've been preaching from Luke for a year. But I want, I'm, I'm doing that on purpose. I'm doing that because the entirety of Scripture can be seen in the life of Jesus. And I hope to demonstrate that tonight in some ways. But to the West, we see spirit-filled. We are a spirit-filled environment. We want to be a place where the spirit can come, his gifts can be demonstrated, and you can have an intimate relationship with Jesus. Not just the words, but the actual spirit, a part of that. But sometimes we get kind of caught up in spiritual dynamics and Sometimes we can be a part of cultures that are just so focused on the spirit that we missed out on some of the practical things. So I also want us to be, as you see on the east, we want to have a practical spirituality. We want to know how to engage with the Lord if he doesn't just come in a dynamic way, if he's not always there in a wow moment, how do we engage him in a way that is practical for your growth and to engage with him in a, in a real and dynamic way that's not necessarily like fall over, shake, explosion moments. And lastly, the South, you'll see that we want to be outwardly compassionate. A part of us, and this is the aspiring value that I want for us, is to engage with the poor, to engage with the hurting, to engage with the downtrodden outside of this location. We don't want to just be insular. We want to be engaging with the gospel. We want to have a deep spiritual connection. We want to have tools to like meet with God on a practical level, but that should all be driving us to reach out, to build relationships, to bring people who are lost into a place where they're found. So over the next four weeks, we're going to explore these things. This is going to be true north. We are pursuing God. We are pursuing his kingdom. And he's going to engage with us in a powerful, visceral way. And my hope is that we would have a robust faith. That we would have a robust Christianity. That it's not just words. It's not just deeds. It's connection that goes and overflows into our community. Because that's who we are. So let's start with our first of the four conversations. We're going to start tonight by talking about being gospel-centered. I want to demonstrate this through the chapter of 20, uh, chapter 24 of Luke's gospel. And I'm going to read verses 35 
through 48. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Then the two from Emmaus told their story of how Jesus had appeared to them as they were walking along the road and how they had recognized him as he was breaking the bread. And just as they were telling about it, Jesus himself was suddenly standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. But the whole group was startled and frightened, thinking they were seeing a ghost. Why are you frightened, he said. Why are your hearts filled with doubt? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. You can see it's really me. Touch me and make sure that I am not a ghost, because ghosts don't have bodies, as you see that I do. As he spoke, he showed them his hands and feet. Still, they stood there in disbelief, filled with joy and wonder. Then he asked them, do you have anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he ate it as they watched. Then he said, when I was with you before, I told you everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures And he said, yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations. Beginning in Jerusalem, there is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. You are witnesses of these things. This actually is one of my favorite endings to the Gospels. Like, I talk about, if you've been with me for a while, I talk about Matthew 28 all the time. All authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me, therefore go. I say that a lot. That is one of my favorite passages. I overuse it all the time. But this one is actually one of my favorites. Because this has a very unique ending. So, Go back with me a couple, of week, uh, a couple of days in the timeline. Jesus has just died three days prior. And three days after his death, we have the women come to his grave. They come to the tomb. And the tomb is opened, and they're like, where did he go? Where it's happened? And an angel appears and says, he is not here. He is risen. And the ladies run off to the boys, and the boys are like, no way. And they sprint over, they go to the tomb, and Jesus is not there. And Peter is like, what's happened? Well, as this is happening, these two guys, Cleopas and his unnamed friend, are walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus, which is a small little village. And as they're walking, Jesus decides to be Jehovah Sneaky and comes in covertly and, you know, begins to say, hey, how you guys doing? And they don't recognize that it's Jesus. They are completely unaware. And they're like, we're really bummed, man. Like, this guy that we thought was the Messiah, he just died. And um, we don't know what to do. We thought he was the prophet, but somehow he didn't make it. And Jesus begins to say, you know, the scripture does talk about the Messiah and that he has to die, right? And they're like, no. And he begins to talk about the scriptures from Old Testament through the prophets, through the Psalms, and he begins to show them through a nice Bible study, mind you. Jesus comes and does a Bible study the first day he's back from the dead. This is fun. And he begins to tell them that the scriptures all point to this. And then they're like, wow, this is awesome. Can you come and have dinner with us? And he sits down, and then right after he breaks the bread, mind you, breaking the bread, get it? Like he's doing communion with them breaks the bread, and they're like, oh, 
That's Jesus. And the moment he recognizes that they recognize him, he disappears. And they go, this is my favorite line in all of Scripture, did our hearts not burn when he was with us? Did our hearts not burn when he was near us? And they kind of just throw everything away. They sprint back to Jerusalem as fast as they can. And the 11 disciples are all distraught. They're like, oh, man, someone stole Jesus' body out of the tomb. This is bad. And the two guys from Emmaus say, hey, we just met Jesus on the road. And they're like, huh? And all of a sudden, Jesus shows up again. And now the two guys from Emmaus and the 11 apostles are all in the midst with Jesus. And they're amazed. They're freaking out. How is this possible? How is this? Is he a ghost? Is he real? And he's like, look, I'm real, guys. Look, my hands. Hey, feed me. Just give me food. Ghosts can't eat. I'll prove that I'm human. So he eats the food. And then he gives three key values, three key directives that I'm going to spend the rest of my night kind of walking through. He gives three directives that's going to guide us in our gospel-centered value. Those three things that he talks about are the scriptures, the life, death, and resurrection of the Messiah, and the message of salvation. So let's begin. Our gospel-centered value begins with the scriptures. And the reason they begin with the scriptures is because Jesus says that the scriptures are focused on him. Jesus says that, the, that the, the whole of Scripture is pointing to himself. This is what he says in verse 44. When I was with you before, I told you everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. This is why we come to church. One of the big things. One of a few things. But it's about our minds being opened to the scriptures. We come to a Sunday, we come to a Bible study because we want the scriptures to be illuminated to us. I find it fascinating that Jesus chooses when he comes back, he doesn't go to Pontius Pilate who had him killed. He doesn't go to the Sanhedrin and the rulers of Jerusalem and just to prove that he's back. No, he does two Bible studies. Isn't that weird? That Jesus decides to talk about the Bible before he tells everybody, like proves that he's risen, he opens the Bible and says, this is the utmost importance. I find that to be quite fascinating. Jesus says that the scriptures are focused on him. And if that's the case, then it's vitally important for us to know our Bible. Now, let me leave that with a thought too. We've all been a part or know of cultures that treat the Bible and abuse the Bible pretty harshly. This is not new, however. Jesus was dealing with this with the Pharisees. In John chapter 5, Jesus is having this discussion with the Pharisees in Jerusalem, and they're harassing him. And Jesus says this in John chapter 5, verses 39. He says, you search the scriptures because you think they will give you eternal life. But the scriptures point to me, yet you refuse to come to me to receive life. We know of certain traditions that will take the Bible 
and will put all of the ethical and moral laws on you. You must do this. If you say you're a Christian, you must live a certain way. And not to say that that's wrong, but they're doing it with the wrong intention because they think that the Bible itself has a power to save you. The Bible doesn't have a power to save you. It leads you to the one who saves. All of the scripture is pointed not at you. You, David, must do all of these laws. You have to read and do the 619 rules. You, Kathy, if you don't do this, man, you are not assured. It's the wrong, it's the wrong thing. The moral and ethical laws that we have to follow are not to get us to a destination. They're the standard for people who have a relationship with Jesus. We follow the moral and ethical laws not to avoid sin, but to avoid a disconnect with God, to avoid the distance. I restrain myself from having an extramarital affair because I value my relationship with my wife. I don't want to mess that up. I don't want to harm that relationship. She's the most important human being in my life. And therefore, I self-impose restrictions to keep that relationship safe. The law is not to be a law of sin and death as it was to the Jews. Because Paul writes, he says, the law was what was to show me what was sinful in my life. It was to show me that I have a deficiency. But under the right circumstances, I'm no longer bound by a law of rules and regulations. I'm now in a relationship with Jesus, and therefore, because he's given me his spirit, I am now in a relationship with the law of the spirit. I follow the scriptures now, not as a rule book, but as a guideline to who I'm to follow and have a relationship with. The scriptures reveal Jesus. The reason that we are gospel-centered is because Jesus claims the scriptures are about him. The reason we take the Bible seriously is because it reveals Jesus to us. Which leads us to our second point. Our second point is that our gospel-centered value is focused on Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Jesus says this in verse 46, It was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. So when we read the four Gospels, we're seeing that story play out. All of them tell the story of Jesus' life. All of them tell the story of how Jesus comes onto the scene. He's filled with the Spirit. He heals the sick. He casts out demons. He raises the dead. He teaches us his standard. He gives us commandments. And he prophesies about the future. All of this is to lead up to the climax of the story in which he is going to suffer and die and take upon your penalty. He is going to suffer and die and take upon your brokenness. That's the point. It's that he deems you worthy 
of his death. He deems you worthy of being a son and daughter to reconnect you back to his heart. He loves you. His death is not some theological term, as sometimes I get all muddled down and I teach you this grand theology. But really, it's about because he loved David. It's because he loved Natalie. It's because he loved Carly. That statement, and I'll say this quote, but you should all know it if you've been in church. If you were the only person in the world, he would have died for you. Because he loves you. He desires a relationship with you. This is the gospel. And so we see that the death is the taking upon of the brokenness of humanity and he places it upon himself. And then the scene changes. It goes from the tragic death to Jesus' triumph over death. Jesus is raised back to life. And this raising defeats the thing that has kept you bound. His raising has overthrown the thing that keeps you stuck in your brokenness. He's come to remove that. He's come to destroy that. He's come to make you new. This points to our last point of the night. Our gospel-centered value is focused on the message of salvation. Jesus says this in verse 47, it was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations, beginning in Jerusalem. There is forgiveness of sins to all who repent. The scriptures lead us to Jesus's, the climax of Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection from the dead. And this leads us to the penultimate reality, that salvation has come to all that if we believe upon the one who died in our place and repent of our wrongdoing, then by the sacrifice that Jesus made, we are made right and we are brought into his family. The Apostle Paul says it this way in his second letter to the Corinthians. He writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 21, he says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when he pleads, come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the, be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. These are our values. This is what we aspire to do. This is our first place, and this is the north of our true north compass. This is what it's all about. It's about the gospel. It's about you getting right. It's about you 
experiencing God. It's about you having a moment where all of your guilt and all of your shame are washed away. But then, it's about your neighbor. It's about your friends. And it's about these cups falling over because I love dominoes. It's about you and I taking upon the commandment to go. It's about you and I taking this seriously. Being gospel-centered means that we have a responsibility not only to embrace the story, but to tell the story. So I'm going to end that tonight. If I can have you guys come on up. David and Natalie, if you wouldn't mind being our ministry team for the evening. I don't want to make any assumptions this evening. I don't want to make any assumptions because you may have been in church your whole life. I don't want to make any assumptions. I want to just point out that I need the gospel as much as the unbeliever needs the gospel. I need to be reminded of who Christ is and what he's done. That I want to be saturated with that story over and over again. And so tonight, we're going to go ahead and finish on worship. But if there is anything in your life that needs to get right, it doesn't need to be you need to give your life to Jesus all over again. But if you haven't, I I insist that you do. But God wants to work miracles in your life. Jesus is here for you. Jesus is calling you. And at any point during this song or after that song, We have David and Natalie who are willing to pray for you to go any deeper. But I'm just going to invite you to stand with me and we're going to just sing one last song and then you are free to go about the rest of your evening. I'm going to pray and I'll let them sing. Father, I thank you that you sent your son, that you sent him to be a model for love and that you sent him to be a sacrifice for our brokenness and we thank you Jesus for your sacrifice and we ask that you would continue to save people amongst us that you continue to rescue us from our brokenness that you would continue to transform us into the image of you we bless your name in Jesus name Amen Thanks again for tuning in to the True North Vineyard Podcast. We hope that you are blessed by this message. To connect with us, be sure to visit our website at vineyardtruenorth.churchcenter.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at True North Vineyard. We hope to see you soon.